glad that you're here. We're glad that you chose today to come uh, to Mount Pleasant. If, if it's your first week, uh, you picked a good week, I think, to, to come. We're, we're in the middle of a sermon series talking about how uh, our, our relationships aren't exactly what, they want, what we want them to be, but how some things that Christ has given us or some things we can read in the Scripture that might encourage us to have something a little better. And it all came from this, this, this series from a conversation I had with a friend of mine a few weeks ago, and they said they wished that their relationship with their parents was normal. It was really complicated, and they just wished it was normal. And I don't think there is a normal. I, I, I think we try to put these pictures on Instagram or or Facebook of our perfect family, but the reality behind the scenes usually is not nearly that neat, and, and a lot of people are, are just kind of hanging on. And so we've talked about that. There's something kind of in us that's a little uh, 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 twisted or, or broken. We want to do what's right, but it seems like we have a hard time uh, managing that and keeping up with it and, and consistently accomplishing these things that we want. And so our families don't work out like we want. Our marriages don't work out like we want. Our, our, our friendships don't always work out. Our church doesn't always work out like we want. And when we have this plan... But it's just not coming into focus like, like we hoped it would. And that's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. And, and if this is your first week here, I, 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 you're right in the middle of it. And, and I think it's a universal thing that people deal with. And I do think there are some things in Scripture we can, we can pull on to help us manage it. And so today, uh, what I wanted to talk about was, uh, was uh, being a black sheep in the family or, or having a black sheep in your family and how hard it is uh, for that person or, or to be around that person. So we're saying the same things. When I say a, a black sheep in the family, I'm meaning that, that that one person who seems a little bit out of step with how the family works. And it may be because they have different values or interests or, or beliefs. It may be because of some mistakes they've made at different times, or maybe they're, they're, they're a little bit more of a mess than everybody else. But for whatever reason, they're, they're kind of the black sheep. It probably isn't announced it's probably not announced where everybody says, well, you know, this is my son Chuck. He's the black sheep. Probably isn't like that, but, but, but you know it, right? You feel it. You, you, if you are the black sheep in the family, you, you can feel it, that you're just a little out of step with everything that's going on. Sometimes, like I said, it's because you're a mess, and sometimes it can be the opposite. Sometimes it can be because you're the only, they're a mess, and you've kind of got it figured out. But for whatever reason, uh, you're on your own. Now, there's some good news if you find yourself in this position. Uh, there's a lot of stories in the Bible about people who were the black sheeps of their family, and normally they're the heroes, it turns out later on. Guys like Joseph and, and uh, Moses and, and, and David and, and, and Jesus, for, 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 for lack of a, of a better example. Jesus, uh, his family thought he was crazy and kind of tried, tried to take control of him. So, so if you find yourself in that position, you might be in some really good company. A lot of times the reason why a person becomes the black sheep is not because they're so uh, wrong, but because they've, they're starting to figure a few things out. Uh, sometimes it has more to do with the family than with the person. A uh, family can be unaccepting or, or inflexible, and, 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 and they don't really take you in. We talked about this a few weeks ago that uh, 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 Bertrand Russell actually was a famous atheist, but the quote I thought was really good. He said that people want to be accepted and not endured with a patient resignation. Uh, if you're a black sheep, that's what they do. They endure you. Uh, you're not really accepted. And uh, so I want to think about that. I want to think about it on both sides. I want to think about how we treat people in our family that we don't agree with. 
the ones who it, don't, it seems like they're not quite what they ought to be in our eyes or in the eyes of most of the family, the ways that sometimes as a family we can exclude them or treat them bad when they're not everything that we hope they'd be. I want to talk about that. But I also want to talk about what to do if you're in that position. If you're the one who's kind of been uh, knocked out of, uh, out of orbit there, you're the one who's kind of been pushed to the side a little bit there and, and not treated like maybe you'd like to be treated. Now, the world's advice, I looked this up. I went on uh, the, the Google, I went on the internet there, the internet machine, and I typed in what to do if you're a black sheep. And uh, a lot of the things I looked at, the, the, one of the first pieces of advice was just be yourself. When you find yourself being the black sheep, just go be yourself. And, uh, and what I want to do today is, is, is give you a second opinion on that. And we'll talk more about it uh, later on, but being yourself, in, in my opinion, is not always good advice. Now, it's advice that gets trumpeted a lot. Uh, everybody from little elementary school children to, to adults in counseling are told to be themselves. But, but, but I find that a lot of times it's yourself that got you into this mess, Right? And if you continue to double down on that, uh, you're going to just be more and more frustrated. So what I want to do is, is, is maybe in addition to be yourself, toss out some other advice that you might find in Scripture. And, and if you can use it, well, then, then great. I'm, I'm thrilled about that. And if you can't, well, then, then hopefully it won't be too long and you'll be out of here and on to the rest of your day. So what I want to do is talk about a guy named Jacob. Uh, Jacob was the black sheep in his family. And if you're not familiar with Jacob in the Bible, let me give you a little, a little primer on it before we get to the scripture that I have uh, laid out here. Uh, Jacob was, uh, was a twin, and, uh, and he was the, but the second son. And in that day, being the first son carried a lot of weight. If you were the first son, you got twice as much of an inheritance as, as the second son or, or whoever else. If you were a, if you were a, a, a firstborn, uh, you got the blessing of your father. And in, in the case of this family, Abraham's family, coming down to Jacob, getting that blessing was a big deal because God had declared over Abraham's family that one of your kids is going to bless the whole world. And so while, while Jacob is still in the womb, uh, it's, uh, the, the scripture says uh, that, that uh, his, his mother, Rebecca, felt the twins wrestling in there, could feel the twins wrestling with each other in her womb, and there's a prophecy given. And actually, it's like one of those uh, abortions, uh, a thing in the news uh, a lot today, and this is an argument, uh, this story about how even before you're born that God is starting to make plans happen, starting to make things go on. Even while the babies are in the womb, uh, God speaks over that and says that the younger son is, is going to rule over the older one, which was completely out of, out of how normal things went. The younger son's going to be the more important son. And, and it's made that prophecy. And then when the birth comes, Esau does come out first. And he's named Esau. Esau means red and hairy because Esau was red and hairy. It says when he red hair in that age was a really unusual thing. And, and he was just covered like a rug when he came out. He's tattooed and muscular as he came out of the womb. And so Esau comes out first, right? And then, and then right on his heels, literally, is, is, is Jacob. And he's, he's actually grabbing a hold of, of the heel of his brother when they come out together. And so they named him Jacob. And Jacob literally means uh, grabs the heel. I mean, and it, it can also mean something a little more uh, righteous uh, about how it holds on to God or those kinds of things. But, but probably the name was because he was holding on to the heel. And they, they, it was almost like a joke kind of a name at the very beginning uh, when, they, when they made it. But it could also, just by that word picture, imply a person who trips up somebody else. They just grab their heel, but they're always tripping somebody else up. 
And, and that is kind of their pattern. Esau grows up to be this, this great hunter, and, and he's, he's uh, the father's favorite son. He's a man of the woods, and, and, the, and dad just brags on him all the time. You can imagine uh, captain of the football team and the, the king of the prom, and, and they just the, the, the kid that, that you know, as a dad would brag on, and this is Esau. And Jacob, it says, is more quiet, and he hangs out around the tents. There's a, a, a Marvel movie uh, that uh, Thor and Loki and the Marvel movies are kind of the same picture. One son is, is, is completely together and polished, and the other one's always sneaking around in the shadows. And that's kind of how they're pictured. And, uh, and as Isaac, their dad, is getting older, he's so worried because his health is starting to kind of fail, and he's seeing some real signs that maybe he's, he's close to the end. He says, I'm going to go ahead and give my blessing now while I still can, and, and I'm in good, a good mind. And he, he's, he's lost his vision, but he said, I'm still in pretty good shape, all things considered, but I'm going to go ahead and, and give my blessing to my son. So he tells Esau, I want you to go out in the woods and hunt something and come back and cook it for me, and we'll eat it together, and I'll give you my blessing. So Jacob hears that. Here's, here's that Esau is told that. Jacob's mother hears it too. And so the two of them, he and his mother, kind of hit on a plan. They say, well, go out and kill a goat, bring the goat in, we'll cook the goat. I'll cook it the way Esau would cook wild game, and we'll tell your father that you're Esau. And Jacob says, well, he's never going to believe it. Well, he's blind, Mom says. Well, I know he's blind, but he's still not going to believe it. I don't, I don't feel like Esau. Esau, remember, was a really hairy man. So they took the goat skins, and they wrapped them on his arms, and they wrapped them on his neck. So if his dad got a hold of him, which again gives you a picture of how hairy Esau was, right? Just a, <laughs> just a, a monster to hold on to. And he said, we'll put this hair on there, and he'll think it's your, your Esau. And he puts on Esau's clothes. And when he goes in to talk to his dad, his dad is not fooled at first. His dad starts to wonder, well, you sound a lot like Jacob. But then when he feels him, and then when he smells the clothes, it says, the smell of the clothes is what really tips him off. Esau must have stunk something awful. And he smells the clothes, and he says, oh, yeah, okay, it's Esau. And he gives the blessing. And Esau, uh, Jacob leaves, and Esau comes in, well, where's my blessing? And well, I've already given it to you. What do you mean? And, and, and well, I haven't been here yet. I've been out hunting. And they have this, and they realize Jacob has stolen his, da- his dad's blessing, and, and it's a lot of tears are shed, and a lot of anger, and everybody's yelling, and, and they're mad, and probably dad is mad. I can't believe my son lied to me this way. And Esau says out loud, where people can hear it, I'm going to kill Jacob. I'm going to kill him. I, uh, I'll wait till dad dies, but then I'm going to kill Jacob. And uh, Esau's bigger and stronger than everybody else, and nobody's really going to tell him no. And so Jacob has to run for his life, and he, he's gone for 20 years. Um, during that 20 years, his dad doesn't die. He, he just keeps hanging on. But you can imagine if he thought he was about to die, that over that 20 years, there's a lot of care required, just taking care of dad all those years, for 20 years. Sometime in that 20 years, probably uh, Rebecca, his wife, dies. Jacob never sees his mom again. He's just gone for 20 years. He's on the run for 20 years. He goes hundreds of miles away for 20 years while Esau's carrying everything. Um, During that 20 years that he's away, he settles with uh, some relatives uh, in a different place and finally makes all of them mad enough that they're ready to kill him. And so he's got to leave there. And and that's where we're going to pick up our story. So Jacob's been gone for 20 years. Esau's been taking care of everything for 20 years. Jacob's on the run, got no place else to go but home. And so, uh, hang on, this is last week's. You have this week's? Oh, okay. Well, then well, I don't need it then. Just leave it there. I can do it. Um, um, it says, uh, let me just read it to you. Genesis chapter 32. 
It says, uh, uh, he says, he sent servants ahead of, of, of himself to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, and he instructed those servants, here's what you're to say to Esau. Tell him your servant Jacob has been staying with Laban, and I've remained there till now. I have cattle and donkeys and sheep and goats and servants. So in other words, Esau, I don't want nothing that you have. Not coming back to steal your blessing, not coming back. In fact, probably the reason why he writes to Esau is because he's assuming dad is dead. He's assuming his dad's not around any longer. So I know you've inherited everything. I'm not coming back to take any of it. It's all yours. He says, uh, I'm just hoping this message will find favor in your eyes. And so I hope bygones can be bygones, is what he's saying. It's been 20 years. And when the messengers returned to Jacob, they said, we went to your brother Esau, and now he's coming to meet you. And he's got 400 men with him. And Jacob was terrified. It says, in great fear and distress, um, he divided all of his people up into different camps. And eventually, he sends all of his people across the, the little river there, there beside, hoping that he can stay by himself on one side, and all of his family will be on the other side. And that maybe, maybe Esau won't kill them all. And he prays. And his prayer is kind of, uh, uh, it's not really selfish, but it's certainly desperate. He says, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you said to me, go back to your country and relatives and I'll make you prosper. I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown uh, your servant. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. I'm afraid he will come and attack me and also the mothers and their children. But you said you'll make me prosper, and you said you'll make my descendants like the sand of the sea, which cannot be counted. And, and uh, so he's worried. God, you told me you were going to take care of everything. God, you told me you were going to make things right, and now here I am. And what are you going to do about it, God? I mean, I'm counting on you to come through, God, and, and what are you going to do? And, and he spends the night alone, worried about it. And while he's there alone, it says an angel of the Lord came and wrestled with him. Now, now, angels are pictured several times in Scripture, and when the angels really want to turn on whatever they do to turn on, they can be devastating. There's a story in, in uh, 2 Kings where an angel attacks the armies of Assyria and kills 185,000 men. An angel uh, attacks Egypt in the ten plagues and kills every firstborn son in the whole nation. Angels can do enormous damage if they choose to do so, but he wrestles with Jacob all night long. So you get the sense that the angel could hurt him, but is choosing not to. And finally, at the end of the, of the night, after wrestling all night long, the angel touches Jacob's, just touch on Jacob's leg, and he's crippled, and, and, uh, but he won't let go. And so uh, the angel says, you, you have to let me go, and, and, and Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. I won't let you go until you, until you bless me. Now, now, when you're reading this story, um, you can read it like Jacob won this great victory over the angel. Like he won, but it's not really, I don't think, the right way to read it. I mean, it hurts him to hold on. I mean, he's suffering by holding on. But I, I won't let go until you bless me. And so the whole thing, I think it really happened, but it's a picture for us of a man wrestling with God. God, I'm just not going to quit. It hurts to hang on. I, I, I don't always understand where we're going, but I'm not, I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to go your direction. And this is a big turning point for Jacob. He's never done this before. Always before, when it got hard, he kind of snuck around. Always before, when it got hard, he ran away. He, 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 he's never stayed in it, and, and he's never fought for it like that, you know? Normally, Jacob's pattern has been when it hurts, he quits, and now he's fighting for it. And so the angel asks him, 
well, what's your, what's your name? And he said, my name is Jacob. And the, man said, the angel said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and men, and you've overcome. And Jacob called that place Peniel, which means I have saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. There's something powerful about just choosing to hang on to God no matter what. And Jacob has made his stand here. He knows Esau's coming. He knows he may have to really pay the piper the next day when Esau gets there, but he's not going to run anymore. He's just going to trust that God's going to take care of him. The next day, Genesis chapter 33, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among, uh, he had wives and servants, he divided the children up, and he himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him, and they wept. Now Jacob had sent a whole bunch of animals ahead of time. It sent a bunch of uh, cows and sheep and cattle and, uh, cattle and donkeys and all this stuff ahead of time trying to make Esau like him better uh, as Esau was coming. And Esau asked about that. What did you mean by all these herds and droves that I met? And Jacob says, I wanted to find favor in your eyes. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. You keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. I ha- if I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me for to see your face is like seeing the face of God. I think that's a clever line, and it's interesting to me. I, I, I was worried about it. I was worried I would never be able to escape my past, and now I see you, and there's grace, and it's like seeing the face of God. When you see someone... So, let's think about this in the context of the bigger picture that I'm trying to make. When we're talking about being the black sheep, Jacob certainly was the black sheep. Uh, he would have been... Uh, it would have made sense completely for Esau to get revenge. It would have made sense completely for Esau to get even. It would have made sense completely for Esau to just, to, to, to just throttle Jacob and to continue to throttle Jacob over and over and over and over again. It would have made sense for him to make Jacob his slave. Uh, but when he sees Esau, and in that moment when Esau could really get even if he wanted to, he shows grace. Jacob is, is knocked backwards by that. It's like, it's like seeing the face of God, he says. Uh, to see you act this way around me. I think that's powerful. I think there's something about that that's, that's enormous. And, and so let's look at Esau's perspective first. When, when you're dealing with somebody in your family who's kind of the black sheep, when you're dealing with somebody in your family who maybe has let the family down over and over and over and over again, and you've got every right in the world to get even, but you don't, You've got every right in the world to, to stick your foot in the ground and, and insist on what's yours and to really tell them off because they deserve it, but you don't. It's like you're presenting the face of God there because God's all grace. It's not that God doesn't have any judgment in him. I mean, there's a time for judgment for sure, but, but when you don't get what you deserve, that's the face of God. And you could be that for somebody. I know it's real hard I know it's real hard. And, and when you've been the one who's been taken advantage of, and when you've been the one who's hurt, when you've been the one who's been smacked around, you've got every right to say no. And, and, and I won't blame you, and God won't either, if you, if you say enough's enough. There is a time to move on. I think even scripturally there's a time to move on. But in those moments when you can show just a little bit of grace, it's a powerful tool 
and sometimes it changes folks. It's okay to set boundaries. There's a story with Jesus in, in Mark chapter 3 where Jesus is teaching and he's talking about all the things he intends to do and, and, and his family hears about the stuff he's saying because he's starting to say stuff about how he's like God and he is God and, and the family decides they're going to go get him. We can't let Jesus keep talking like this. He's out of his mind. And so they go to get him. It's all in Mark chapter 3. If I had slides, you could well, you read it later on. It's in Mark, chapter, it's in Mark, uh, uh, Mark 3. And you can look it up later on. And, 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 and so, and so um, well, he's teaching, right? And the family gets there. And they don't go in. They just, uh, they just send somebody in to tell him, hey, we're outside. And what they expect him to do is say, hey, I got I to gotta leave, right? Got to leave. Mom, dad's outside. Or mom, mom's outside. Brothers are outside. Got to leave. And so, but he doesn't do that. And he says, well, who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? And, and then he looks at the crowd in front of him. He says, well, whoever does the will of God is my mother and brother and sisters. Right? Jesus sets some boundaries. When, when the family comes and tries to boss him around, uh, he's about God's will and he stays on God's will. And if Jesus did that, you're allowed to do that. I mean, you're allowed to set some boundaries. Every time we go down this path, it's crazy. So I'm not going to go down that path any longer. You know, we, we can talk about anything you want as long as we don't talk about this. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to do that. You're allowed to say that, that uh, you're allowed to do that, okay? But in those moments when all the rights are on your side, and you show grace anyway, sometimes it really changes a person. One of the big advocates for, for, for Jesus after the, after the cross was his brother James. James, who had thought he was crazy before. It says that when Jesus came back, Paul talks about this, that Jesus appeared to a lot of people, and one of the people he appeared to was his brother. He had been crucified, he came back and he appears to his brother, and and shows grace in that moment. Doesn't have to appear to him. Doesn't have to try to patch anything up. But he appears to him in that moment, and, and, and they're brought back together. I mean, Jesus could have said, well, you rejected me then. Forget it. We're done. And he, and he doesn't. And, and James is transformed. He becomes a big leader in the church. You know, at some level, that was your story. You, you walked away from God, you ran away from God, you continued to rebel against God, maybe even after you kind of had some idea of what was going on. And God, who had every right in the world to say enough, took, took you back. When you were a black sheep to him, he took you back. And because he did that, I, I think we want to be a people who occasionally show some grace too. Even if we're being unfairly accused. So that's the first thing. But the second thing I wanted to talk about, uh, and I, I don't have anybody in mind, I promise, but I, I wanted to hit on, for some of us, the reason why our family kind of treats us like a black sheep is because we've earned it, right? We've said some things we probably shouldn't have said, or we've done some things we probably shouldn't have done. We've made a few mistakes that were kind of public, and maybe, uh, uh, or maybe they did, and we kind of got on them about it. We, we've done some things to make that division. And what do you do in those moments? And I think we can look at Jacob's example and see a few things that are hints for us about what we should do. First thing is Jacob prayed about it. Now, I've already told you that he kind of prayed selfish, and he kind of prayed uh, greedy, like, hey, God, you promised, let's get on it. But he still prayed about it. And even if you pray kind of selfish, and even if you pray kind of greedy, and even if you pray kind of childish, you could do much worse than starting there. 
And so if you're going to try to rebuild a relationship where you're the black sheep, I would, I would go to God first. I would go to God first and I would ask God to move. I'd ask God to, 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 to move in the lives of the other people. I'd ask him to move in your life. I'd ask him to open doors. I'd ask him to help you see the open doors and to know which doors are still closed, to know what you can't selfish. I would ask what, what you can't repair. I'd ask God to move in all of it. And I would ask selfish. I would ask, if you're hoping to have some of these relationships restored, I would ask God for that. And I'd be real direct. Um, I'd start there. I think Jacob's example for us in that thing is a good thing. I think Jacob's example, too, is he made sure to tell his brother, I don't want anything. I'm not coming back to you because I want something. I don't, I don't want you to give me anything. I, don't, I, just, I just want us to let the past be past. And I want to start over. And I want you to give me a second chance. And I'm going to put all that behind us. And, and I'm hoping you can put it behind us. And, and, and we can just move forward from here. And I don't want you to do me any favors. Just to start fresh. I think that's a good approach too. I think also when Jacob prays about it, he remembers that God had a plan for his life. And even though he's kind of ran away from that plan, he remembered that God has a plan for his life. And, and you, you should remember that too. Um, uh, one verse of scripture that I think is, is powerful, Psalm uh, 139. Um, and it's actually, I was reading it this week because of, we were talking about the ab- abortion stuff. And, and this is a verse that gets talked a lot about with abortion. Uh, but it's, it's such a powerful verse beyond, beyond even that. He says in, in Psalm 139 verse 10, he says, You created me in my inmost being. This is David talking. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Um, That last sentence. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. What David believed and, and what I believe is that God had a plan for your life. It was all written down. There was a certain way that things were supposed to go. And God had dreams for you before you were born. While you were being knit together in your mother's womb, God had plans for you. The same way he had plans for Jacob, he had plans for you. You might have been an accident to your parents, but you were not an accident to God. I have a friend who was told repeatedly as a child that we never planned to have you which does wonders for your self-esteem if you get told that several times over your childhood. But that may be true for your mom and dad. Your mom and dad may have been terrible people, but God had a plan for your life. While you were being knit together, God had certain things for you to do. But a lot of us, because we have free will, have went off script from God's plan. All these days were ordained, all these days were laid out, but I've, I went a different direction. The script said that I'm supposed to say this line, and I'm supposed to be a part of this scene, but I decided to not do that, and I went a different direction, and I went way over here, and I didn't go over there, and I didn't do what you wanted me to do, God, and I didn't say the things that you wanted me to say, and I didn't act the way you wanted me to act, and so my life took a different path. Jacob had a big plan for his life. God had laid it all out, and yet What he did over and over again was sneak and lie and cheat. And in the sneaking and the lying and the cheating, he had built all these walls between him and and everybody else. 
He went off script. He didn't stick with God's plan for his life. And so he goes back when he's praying. He says, God, I know you've got a plan for me. I just want to get back on it. Now, he did not know what Esau was going to say. And you don't know what the people you have hurt will say if you try to get back in their life. But you can rest very confidently in what God is going to say. He'll always take you back. Just like he took back the prodigal son, he will always take you back. God is always waiting for you to come back. And he was waiting on Jacob. That's what that whole angel wrestling story is about. He was waiting on him. And so he gives Jacob a chance. And he even makes it easy for Jacob to say, you know what, God, not interested still. You can go your way and I'll go mine. But this time, Jacob won't quit on God. He hangs on to him. He, he, he holds on and he, and he wrestles and, and, he, and he loses. You, you, you know, the, the hardest part for a person who has cheated and lied and stealed and, and pushed their whole life is that it's very hard for them to, to turn that off. You know, if you're kind of built to be a survivor, it's very hard to trust after all that. But Jacob chooses to lose. He lets the angel win. He just holds on. I'm not going to let go till you bless me. Losing, Jesus says the one who loses their life in this world will find it in the end. And a lot of Christians, if we're being honest, they never, they never get around to that. Um, it's going to be hard to explain in the time that I have, so I may have to come back to this in another sermon. But I, I, I think a lot of American Christians have a real hard time with, with this whole paradigm. Um, um, we don't trust him. When he says to forgive and to forgive freely, it's about taking that risk of losing. When he tells us to, to turn the other cheek, it's, it's about taking that risk of, of losing. With the, prompt, with the assurance that if I choose to do that, that God's going to come through on the other side and bless me. If I don't get my way on this moment, if I don't get my way in this, this thing, that God's still going to be there on the other side and, and I'll be more blessed at the end because I trusted him. Jacob finally figures this out. And he's, he's an old man. He's, he's ran his whole life. He's cheated his whole life. And, and finally, for the first time, he's willing to lay that down and, and hold on to God. He apologizes to Esau. He bows down before him. He apologizes to God. And, and God takes him back. And this, incidentally, is the whole problem with the advice to go be yourself. This, this is really, at this point, where the advice to be yourself is terrible advice. I mean, it's not always terrible advice, but, but it often is. Because, because left to your own devices, most of the time our instincts are wrong. Most times our instincts are to protect ourselves and, 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 and put us up. And Jesus says, that's not the right path. That, that's not the right way to get there. I know it's complicated, and it takes a lot of trust, but, but when, you, when you're constantly just trying to put your own agendas first, and I've got to win every fight, and I've got to win every argument, and everybody's got to come on my side, I mean, sooner or later, that will blow up on you. It's just not how we're designed. It's not how this world's designed, and I know it doesn't seem like that, but sometimes there's a lot worse things that can happen than just losing. 
Paul gets on the Corinthians in another place because they're suing each other in the church. And he says, aren't the fact that there's lawsuits mean you've been defeated already? Why not rather lose, he says. Why not rather be cheated? The problem with being yourself is that most of us don't even really know ourselves. Um, Sin in our lives, by its very nature, kind of blinds you. You don't see how bad it is. I've talked about this before, but you, you have a, 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 a group of five or six friends that go together, and one of them talks too much. The only person in the group who's unaware that one of them talks too much is the guy who talks too much, right? Or one of them is always cheap, and they never pay. Who's the only one who's aware, unaware that they're cheap? The cheap person, right? You just don't see it. It's like when you listen to yourself on an audio tape, and you say, well, that doesn't sound like me, and everybody else goes, well, it kind of that's how you sound. Well, that doesn't sound like me at all. I don't sound that way. Or in a picture. You, they take a picture and you're looking, well, I look terrible in this picture. And everybody else says, well, that's just kind of how you look. But, but they don't say it, right? They say, well, okay, let's take another picture if you want. Because it's, but you don't see it. I don't look like that. I look much better than this picture. Let's take it again. And for some people, it's not going to be enough, right? I mean, 30 or 40 pictures later, I know I got to look better than this. Let's keep trying, right? And everybody else knows that's how you are, but you don't know that's how you are. And our sin has a way of, of, of hiding, and you just don't see it. And especially on the, on the really big stuff, the, the pride and the anger, and, and, and you, you don't notice it. I mean, you may get little hints about it. You, you might even kind of excuse it, you know, in weird, well, that's just kind of how I am sometimes. Or, yeah, I know I do that, and you know how it's, I can't help it, you know. Or, or, uh, but, 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 but it's there. Sometimes you try to excuse it by blaming it on somebody else. And it's the weirdest, craziest thing. Um, if I ever do a counseling, talk, talk to a married couple, and one of them complains about the other, maybe he says to her, you just nag me all the time. You're just constantly on me. And she responds back to him, well, maybe I would nag if you just do something around here. Right? Which is a weird thing to say. Because like if, if someone approached you, a stranger, on the street and said, you nag all the time, your answer would be, do not. But the wife can't say that because she knows she does. And so when she tells back to her husband, well, I mean, if you'd do something around here, I wouldn't nag. He normally, in any other conversation, do something. I'm doing stuff all the time. But he can't say that because he knows he's not. So what he'll say is, well, again, maybe I wouldn't do something right here if I didn't, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. And so you know you've got the sin, but you excuse the sin because you can blame it on somebody else and you're blind to the sin. And, and, then, and then you go do your thing and you talk to other friends. What should I do? And they'll say, be yourself. And I just think that's terrible advice. I just think that's awful advice. Uh, a lot of us have friends who, if we're being honest, they're not going to tell us the hard, ugly truth. They're not going to because they want to be friends. So you go to them and say, well, I've had it with this person. I think I'm about leaving them. What do you think? Well, I wouldn't have stayed this long. That's what your friends will say. Go be yourself. And it's just terrible advice. It's just terrible advice. I don't want to be myself. I want to be like Christ. I don't want to be like Jeff. I want to be like Jesus. And so when we talk about what should a person do if they find themselves in this position, just recognize that losing and apologizing is not the very worst possible outcome. Sometimes it's what you need to do. And like I said, I'm not telling you whether or not it's your fault or not. And if you're not sure on this thing, find two or three really solid friends and talk to them. 
Um, we talk about joining a group here at the church. That's kind of what I have in mind. Get involved with some other Christians here and, and just start living life together. And, and, and as you trust them more, start leaning into them with some of these questions. You know, you're getting together, you're getting together to talk about the Lord, you're getting together to read scripture, you're getting together to pray. Start talking about some of these stuff. As you trust them more, start opening up about some of these relationships with one or two people. And, and, and listen real hard to what they say. Um, relationships, they matter the most. And it's worth it to you to fight hard for it. I'm going to have the, the band come back up. Um, I found it interesting the last couple days, uh, my parents have done this thing where they've went through some memories of, of their childhood and talking about things, and it's interesting uh, seeing how much the world has changed since they were kids to, till now, and, and some things I didn't know, you know, and we're having the conversation, and then, and then there were some things about my life that my kids didn't know. We've been having some of those conversations in the house. Uh, my kids didn't know what a party line was. Is that just a, a fun phone line? Well, kind of, but not exactly. And uh, so we talked about that, what a party line was and how the lady up the road would be listening to all your calls because she would have her end covered. Uh, but they couldn't believe that was true. I can't believe they ever had such a thing like that. Well, they did. They did. I found out that my parents had outhouses when they were younger. I didn't know that was still a thing. I thought that was like 1800s kind of a thing, but it's not. It was a little more recent than I was aware um, when I was a kid, uh, for, for television, we had three channels. I don't know if you guys remember three channels or not. And two of them were fuzzy, unless you went out and turned the antenna around and got it to where you wanted it to be. And even when it was clear, it still had lines running through it, right? Even when you had a good, a good picture, there were lines running through it. Or maybe it would go up and down, the, 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 get the horizontal adjustments or whatever, and it wouldn't be quite what you wanted to see. Um, when we first got a... Uh, a nice television. I remember how big a deal that was. I remember when we first got married for the first several years, we had this little Sony television. It was this big. And I remember when we first got a, 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 what I thought was a regular size television. And then more recently got a TV that was, was, was bigger, you know, 42 inches. We're putting it in and one of my friends goes, now you're a man, he said. And I installed my, <laughs> my TV there. And to compare that TV in HD to the TV that my youth, I mean, it's a whole different picture. You can't even imagine what you're looking at. But we didn't know it was bad then. You know, when we were watching it then, we thought it was great. We didn't know it was bad. We just thought that was, was what it was. Watch football games, and you couldn't really even see where the ball was when it was flying across the screen and then, until the announcer said something. And we thought that's what people had, and that's what we did, and we didn't think it was bad. It's only when you have something better that you realize. And what I want to talk to you about with this whole thing is that there is something better. And it may be hard for you to believe it, but, but there's something better when it comes to relationships. There, there's something better when it comes to a life that God wants for you. He, he really does have a script for your life. And the smartest thing you can do is to go to God and say, I want to get back on your script and not my own. I've tried to be myself for a long time, God, and it's not working out exactly like I hoped that it would. And I want to get back to what your plan is for my life with the sure knowledge that whenever you do it, he's going to take you back. And he's going to love you. And, he, and he's going to breathe new life into you. And you're going to see this world different, as different as HD to black and white 19-inch uh, TV. You, you, you're just going to see the world different then. And I know it takes a lot of trust. But I pray that for some people today, maybe today you'll, you will trust God with that. All right, let me pray with you.
Dear Lord God, I thank you for a, a chance to come together. And I do pray, God, for this group. And I thank you, God, for, uh, for an opportunity just to draw close to you. You don't have to take any one of us, but you said you would. You don't have to breathe new life into any one of us, but you said you would. You said, God, that if we come to you and, and we hand you our lives, that you'll give us a second chance, that you'll make us a new creation. I thank you for that promise. I thank you, God, for that, that hope and that truth. I thank you, God, that there's nothing in this world that compares to what you want to offer us. And I pray, God, we have the courage to grab a hold of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm.